From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition, as Democrats struggle to find something in their quiver to stop President Trump from filling the Supreme Court vacancy, Judge Amy Coney Barrett was on Capitol Hill today meeting with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and key members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. What might they pull out of their quiver? Leader McConnell joins us in just a moment. And the messaging from Minority Leader Chuck Schumer suggests the left may have learned a lesson in their vicious attack on the character of the last Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. The focus is now on endangering the left's policy objectives to which they have relied upon the courts. We'll be joined by Oklahoma Senator James Langford to discuss the Supreme Court fight and legislation he introduced last week to protect women's sports. Also, Dr. Ben Carson, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, is here to tell us about a new HUD initiative called the Mustard Seed Series, which launches tomorrow. Named for the reference in Matthew 17, where Jesus said, if we just had the faith the size of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. The program is a collaborative effort between HUD and the faith community to create affordable housing, reduce homelessness, and serve families in need. That's coming up later on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home, you can find it all later right there. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. Hey, a couple of upcoming events that you need to mark your calendar for. Next Tuesday, October 6th, I'll join Pastor Carter Conlon of Times Square Church in New York as he leads a historic prayer gathering in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, as we mark the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrim's Landing. You want to tune in for that. And Sunday, October the 11th, this you won't want to miss, Freedom Sunday. As many churches remain closed or restricted in their worship because of government overreach, and all the while the Supreme Court refusing to step in and protect our First Amendment, we'll be holding a special Freedom Sunday evening worship service in California, and we're going to pack it out calling on governments to allow churches to meet freely. If the governors refuse to honor the First Amendment, we'll encourage pastors to uphold it by exercising it regardless. More details to follow, but mark your calendars. All right, as I mentioned yesterday, I was at the White House on Saturday as President Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to fill the vacancy on the high court after the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Today, Judge Barrett was on Capitol Hill meeting with senators beginning with the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and he joins us now. Leader McConnell, McConnell, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tony. So, Leader McConnell, let's just start. Uh, how was your meeting with uh, Judge Barrett? Well, as we all have uh, witnessed before, she's a stunningly impressive person, a brilliant legal scholar and a teacher and the perfect nominee for the Supreme Court. The president has certainly sent us the single best person he could possibly find in the country for this uh, appointment. And it's now the role of the Senate to move forward. You know, I think her her credentials, her legal credentials, uh, as far as being on the bench, having been a professor, I mean, they're impeccable. But also she has a remarkable story. Uh, her character comes across as being solid. Uh, I thought her uh, message Saturday at the White House when the president nominated her was very compelling. I, I'm just I'm hard pressed to find how the left is going to oppose her, how the Democrats are going to oppose her nomination. Well, they're going to try to ignore her and suggest that her 
appointment uh, threatens Obamacare. Uh, we think the nomination fight should be about the nominee. And so we intend to put her out front. We also intend to challenge them once again uh, to bring up her religion as somehow a disqualifying factor uh, in serving on the court. They were quite blunt about that three years ago when she was up for confirmation to the Seventh Circuit. Uh, we expect them uh, to try to restrain themselves. But the truth of the matter is, um, they really do, many of them, believe that it's okay to discriminate against people because of their religious beliefs. Whether many of them will just own up to it or not uh, remains to be seen, but certainly out on the left, outside of the Senate, around the country, they're drumming up this anti-religious argument already as a disqualifier uh, for this wonderful uh, nominee. I think you are absolutely right, uh, Leader McConnell. I, I, I don't think they can help themselves, uh, even though they're going to try, because I think that is going to rally um, people of faith to her defense because they're tired. They're tired. And you've seen it. You've spoken to it from the Senate floor. This attack on religious expression in our culture. It is the freedom of religion that we have, meaning you can live your life by the direction of your faith, by the dictates of your faith. And the left somehow wants to constantly come after that. And they're so far outside the mainstream. I, I do think that could be their undoing if they go after her on that issue. Well, Tony, I think they will not be able to restrain themselves. Some of the members of the committee may be able to restrain themselves. But if you look outside the Senate uh, to the left across the country, they're beating this drum already. And that's what many, if not most, of the left movement in this country does think is a disqualifying issue. They will not restrain themselves. This is the issue, as far as I'm concerned, in this uh, nomination fight. Well, you've called, as I mentioned, you've called that out several times on the Senate floor as the majority leader. Uh, but to your point, uh, yesterday, the AP, this is a headline from the AP story, Barrett tied to faith group ex-members say subjugates women. Now, I, I, I don't know, is it just me? But I miss this. Here is a woman who was in a what they call a religious group that um, forces women into subordinate positions. And we're talking about a woman who is going to serve, has been nominated to serve on the nation's highest court. She talked about her husband in their, uh, in fact, she pointed out that not only was it a, a partnership, but he carried more of the load at home so that she could pursue uh, her role as a judge. Does that sound like a woman who's been subjugated? <laughs> hardly. Hardly. It's almost laughable, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but uh, expect them to go down that path uh, for sure. As you indicated, it's already being written about, talked about out on the left. Uh, we'll see whether any of the members of the Senate uh, bring it up as well, whether they can all restrain themselves. But we know there are a significant number of Senate Democrats who share that sentiment being expressed openly, openly. Right. Out, on, out in the country on the political left. Uh, Leader McConnell, let me go back to the first point you made about the Obamacare issue. I've got a, um, a, a short clip from the minority leader, 
raising that issue on Saturday night. Let's play that clip, Bobby. Why is the Amy Coney Batterick nomination so troubling? The American people should make no mistake about it. A vote for Judge Barrett is a vote to take away health care and its protections for over 130 million Americans who now have protections against pre-existing conditions. Leader McConnell, is that not an admission that the left has been looking to the court to basically pass their policy initiatives? Well, I think what they really want to claim is that coverage for pre-existing conditions is somehow in danger. The the president has made it clear he's in favor of coverage for pre-existing conditions, has issued an executive order to that effect. Every single Senate Republican is on record favoring coverage for pre-existing conditions. That, that's not what's at stake here. What's at stake here is this nominee. And they don't want to talk about her because she's stunningly qualified and accomplished. They want to try to make this confirmation battle about something else. And so I think it's important to reassure your listeners that pre-existing conditions coverage is not in danger. No one is in favor of getting rid of coverage for pre-existing conditions. That's not what this nomination fight is about. I mean, that's a legislative issue, which the Congress, as you said, has dealt with. The president has dealt with. This is about a judicial philosophy that really we've seen the court being an activist court over the last several decades. This is about the kind of nominees that you have put along with the president. I mean, the president's nominated, you shepherded them through, that would abide by the boundaries of the Constitution. That's what the left is so worked up about, but they won't admit it. Yeah. I mean, I always put it this way, Tony. The job of the judge is to follow the law. That's what Justice Scalia used to say. And he said, if you want to make policy, you ought to run for office. Justice Gorsuch said, we don't wear red robes or blue robes. We wear black robes. Uh, Judge Barrett believes that that's the role of a judge. The Democrats openly want to appoint people who act like legislators. President Obama was really quite candid about it. He said he wanted to appoint judges who had empathy. Well, think about that a minute. If you're the litigant for whom the judge has empathy, you're in good shape. But what if you aren't? That's not calling the balls and strikes, not the traditional role of the judge. And the Democrats don't want uh, objective judges. They want partisan judges. And President Obama appointed those kind of people. And if Joe Biden were to become president, he would appoint the same kinds of people. I mean, that's what this is ultimately about, is about what type of judges we're going to have. Those that abide by the boundaries of the Constitution or those who want to legislate from the bench. Now, I know uh, after your uh, meeting with her today, you were asked by the press in terms of the timeline of this. Do you see a vote taking place before the election? I think uh, Senator Graham, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, is going to hold the hearings in a timely fashion. Um, It it appears that uh, if everything falls in place and they don't find something in their quiver uh, to stop it, that we'll see a vote on this confirmation before the election. Is that right? Well, I haven't announced exactly when the vote will occur, but let me just say that we are well within the boundaries of 
when the nominations are traditionally handled from nomination to confirmation for John Paul Stevens, uh, for Justice Ginsburg, uh, for others, uh, we're well within that uh, with the con uh, before the end of this uh, Congress. As to the precise date, uh, we're going to move forward with dispatch, and the uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee has indicated he'll report the nominee out on the 22nd of October, and we'll move forward. Well, Senator McConnell, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us, and, uh, and I do want to again uh, commend you. You and I have talked about this before, but I think you have done a remarkable job in shepherding through the president's nominees, who I think have all been great candidates, to restore our courts to what you mentioned a moment ago, calling balls and strikes and not legislating from the bench, which I think is going to have generational impact upon our country. Thank you, Tony. All right, Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, Senate Majority Leader. Look, this is going to be one to watch. We're going to be covering it uh, probably every day because this is this is big. Uh, I mentioned this last week, as, uh, as the great philosopher Barney Fife said, this is bigger than the gold truck. I mean, this is, uh, this is big. I mean, this is talking about shifting the balance of the court from being an activist court to one that abides by the Constitution. All right, coming up next, Oklahoma Senator James Langford joins us for more discussion about the court and legislation he's introduced to protect women's sports. That's next. Don't go away. important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Hey, Matt. 
Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Don't forget tomorrow night, next installment of Pray, Vote, Stand, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. To find out more, go to prayvotestand.com, uh, .org, rather. And if you've not yet taken the challenge to pray, vote, and stand, do this. Text me the word vote at 53445. 53445, the word vote, and you will be registered. Your challenge to pray, vote, and stand. All right, as we uh, just discussed with the Senate Majority Leader, Judge Amy Coney Barrett has been on the Hill today meeting with senators in advance of her confirmation hearing, which begins the week of October the 12th. Now, I want to play the clip again that I played with the uh, leader from Senator Chuck Schumer because I want to make clear what the opposition is all about. Why is the Amy Coney Barrett nomination so troubling? The American people should make no mistake about it. A vote for Judge Barrett is a vote to take away health care and its protections for over 130 million Americans who now have protections against pre-existing conditions. What this is about is about judicial activism, about the left wanting a court that will do their legislative deeds, that they cannot get through Congress, that the American people reject, In fact, we saw that in a recent case at the Supreme Court involving Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, where the word sex from 1964 was redefined to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, to head off a similar decision by the court in education and women's sports, several senators have introduced legislation entitled Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, Joining me now to talk about it is the lead author of that measure, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. Senator, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you again, Tony, always. Now, Senator, uh, we, we actually sat down and talked about this last week. You were a part of the uh, Values Voter Summit. Thanks for, for joining us last week. But this is uh, what we're seeing now is the left is, I, I actually think they're being kind of honest in a way that, they're afraid they're going to lose control of the court and their ability to push their policies through. Yeah, and the court is not about trying to get policies through. The court is about interpreting law. Uh, the main job of the court, as defined all the way back from two centuries, is to say what the law is, not what it should be, not what they want it to be, not trying to reinterpret it into culture, but what is the law. And that's what's been the stable force for us as a country for two centuries, is that the executive branch, 
executes the law. The legislative branch writes the law, and the the, ju- the judges, the justices, they interpret the law. As long as everybody stays in their lane, this works really well. But at the point that justices decide, you know what, I, I really think Congress should do this. They haven't done it yet, so I'm just going to go ahead and create it out of thin air. That's when we get in some of the greatest social turmoil as a country. Is, and is that not the reason that judicial appointments have become so controversial with the left is because that is what they have relied upon? It is, actually. And we saw this actually going back uh, several decades ago with Robert Bork and uh, what was done to Robert Bork to destroy him because they were afraid uh, that there would be a jurist that would be on the courts uh, that would just say, let's just interpret what the law says. And if we're going to argue about social issues, that argument shouldn't be in the court. That argument should be in Congress. And the American people speak through their representatives in Congress. And if we make different laws, we make different laws. But different laws can't be made on the bench. And uh, that was something Robert Bork was so clear about and was such a threat Uh, to liberals at that time in the 1980s, and they really created a new way of destroying people personally uh, if you went against their wishes uh, on that liberal agenda. Yeah, and we're going to talk about those personal attacks uh, in the next segment. You're going to stay with us, and I I want to talk about what might be their line of attack on uh, Judge Barrett. But in the 80s, we were only about, uh, you know, a dozen years removed from Roe v. Wade, maybe a little bit more, mid-80s. Uh, when the uh, conservatives began to realize what the courts were being used for. Of course, it goes back to the 60s. Prayer was taken out of the schools. Bible was taken out of the schools. That wasn't something Congress did. It wasn't something people voted on. But we've seen this increasing uh, level of activism, and, and, and there's starting to be pushback. And, of course, President Trump committing to appoint strict constitutionalists, strict constructionists to the court, that will deprive the left of their ability to legislate, therein lies the great conflict that we're seeing unfolding before us today. It is, actually. And just in the issue of abortion, as you mentioned before, historically the courts broaden abortion and Congress limits abortion. And you see it over and over and over again, as was mentioned before, the Hyde Amendment pulling back, a pulling back. And you'll see that limiting uh, different ways that actually uh, abortion can be carried out in states with state legislatures. State legislatures uh, typically limit abortions, and you'll find in federal courts trying to broaden it. And uh, what we have said is just a very simple thing. Let the people speak on this issue. And there's a great misnomer even on the issue of Roe v. Wade. And we we have no idea where the court would actually vote on an issue of Roe v. Wade. And everyone has a feeling of what they think it would be. No one really knows until the court actually has a a vote on it. But even prior to uh, Roe v. Wade in 1973, uh, there was abortion in America. It was just determined by each state. Mm-hmm. And if Roe v. Wade went away, that doesn't take away abortion in America. That just means each state has to now decide, and that does change the dynamic significantly. Where liberals want to impose everything from a federal level and not do state to state, conservatives typically have said, no, th- these are issues that states should decide. And we've seen in the last decade states increasingly deciding that they want to restrict abortions, protect women, their unborn children. So we're we're seeing that trend, especially since uh, technology has given us more of a view into the womb and the left's argument that this is a blob of tissue has been mm-hmm. exposed. So we're, we're seeing the movement toward life. But you're absolutely right. This is an issue that would most likely go back to the states. But I will say this. On the issue of Roe v. Wade, 
the court in 73 said they were going to settle this issue. But this shows that the court can't resolve issues in a republic where people come together to reach consensus. Yep. Yep. Every time we as a people get short-circuited, we as a people push back and say we're still a republic and we want our voice. All right, Senator James Langford, hold on for just a moment. We're up against a break. When we come back, I want to talk about a couple of bills that you've introduced. One, protecting women's sports. But then, uh, if we have time, I want to talk about the line of attack they may take on Judge Barrett. Uh, folks, don't go away. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma is with us, and uh, he's going to stick around for another segment. I hope you will as well as we uh, look into some legislation uh, to, as I mentioned, to protect women's sports and to allow states uh, to defund Planned Parenthood in their Medicaid programs. That's coming up next here on Washington Watch. So don't go away. We're back with more right after this. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Uh, be sure and stick with us. Uh, a little bit later in the program, Secretary of uh, HUD, Dr. Ben Carson, is going to be joining us. Uh, joining us now is Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. Senator, thanks for sticking around through the break. Let me uh, let me ask you, let me jump right into some legislation. We were just talking about uh, the issue of abortion and one of the measures that you have introduced along with several of your colleagues is to um, allow states not to spend Medicaid funds on supporting abortion centers. Tell our listeners about it. 
Yeah, so we, we already have, as you've mentioned many times, the Hyde Amendment uh, that uh, doesn't allow federal funds to go to abortions, but uh, major abortion providers like Planned Parenthood and others will then do other services and will get federal funds to be able to do it when their primary business is really abortion. Uh, but then they'll try to get ancillary services through Medicaid. Uh, right now, states don't have the flexibility to be able to determine, hey, this medical provider really uses the uh, large portion of their money to support abortion, so they can't be eligible uh, to also get Medicaid dollars. We want to give greater flexibility to those states to be able to evaluate and pick and choose the providers for their Medicaid dollars within their state. And Medicaid is a program that's a partnership between the federal government and state governments, so we want to give the state governments more latitude to be able to make those decisions of who is the provider for their people. Which is in keeping with what we were talking about in the last segment, that we've seen more and more states move toward wanting to move away from uh, funding abortion and being connected with abortion. That's correct. And they should have that latitude to be able to do that if they choose to be able to do that. It's, it shouldn't be a shocking thing for people to say, in healthcare, I'd like to also protect children. Uh, why would that be so surprising to say, I want to have providers that I know they're going to actually protect children through the process? Uh, rather than I have a provider that sometimes helps children, and sometimes if children are smaller, they decide to destroy them rather than help them. Uh, we, we want to be able to work with providers that really want to be able to help children at all phases of their development. And give states that option to make those choices. Makes sense to me. It, it is in keeping with our uh, federalist system. All right, I want to move on before we run out of time. Another piece of legislation. Again, you're lead author, but you've been joined by many of your colleagues. Uh, and this really relates back to the court, as I was mentioning at the top of uh, this, uh, the previous segment. The, the court in the Title VII decision in Bostock, um, redefining sex to include gender identity, sexual orientation. Well, Title IX, which is for federal, pertains to education, federal funding education, that and it covers women's sports. You're trying. You've introduced legislation that would protect women's sports from what we see happening across America right now. Explain. Yeah, that, that's true. The, the Bostock decision from the Supreme Court came out, and it was dealing with what's called Title VII of employment law. That's just a non-discrimination from employment law. But they were intentionally silent on the Title IX in education areas and this issue about uh, boys' sports, girls' sports. Well, I, w- I want to be able to fill the void of that silence from the Supreme Court and make it very, very clear that Title IX in education was intended to allow girls to have a competitive sports that they can do in athletics uh, in middle school, high school, and that they can participate in uh, without having to be able to uh, participate with boys in their in their competition. Uh, my girls ran cross country and track. Uh, they enjoyed being able to do that. There are several states now that the state champion in cross-country and track is someone who was born biologically a male uh, but then transitioned over and competed in girls' sports and took away state titles and state records against the girls in that same area, which means those girls weren't allowed to get maybe track scholarships to colleges or to be able to hold the state title and records and those things uh, because someone that was a biological male was able to compete uh, in their area. Well, that's, that's a clear violation of Title IX, giving girls the ability to be able to compete in sports and being able to protect that. I want to be able to make it very clear that we're not trying to discriminate against anyone, but Title IX was intended to protect girls' sports. Let's continue to be able to protect girls' sports. Yeah, so I, I, I know you stated that, but I want to make very, very clear our folks understand the purpose of Title IX. The whole reason it was put in place 
was to protect or give opportunity, I should say, to women in education, including sports. That's correct. So in tennis, for instance, or in track or in other sports, you would think, well, of course, girls aren't going to compete in football. But I, I, I get that in that sense. A girl could compete in football if they chose to be able to do that. Uh, but there were also certain state record holders in tennis and track and volleyball and so many other things. There, there's a reason. There, there are some biological, physical reasons uh, why you would have men's sports and women's sports and why you would allow them to have two tracks and not compete against each other. Uh, but to allow them to have state record holders and such, and that's been that way for decades and decades, and I don't want to take that away from those girls to have the right to be able to have that lane of competition. So if we allow political correctness in the courts and elsewhere to move forward unchecked, they'll lose that, that opportunity. Yeah, they will lose that opportunity. There's a reason even the uh, the uh, Olympic Committee has certain standards uh, for a competition on Olympics worldwide is because we want to allow that protection for sports to be able to be there and for competition. Now, there are many areas of other areas, debate, whatever it may be, where boys and girls, they're all competing all together. Uh, but in certain right. athletic competitions, it's helpful to be able to give two different lanes. Uh, dare I say that sounds like common sense? Well, that's a that's a risky thing in Washington, D.C., but it's not in most households that are listening to this broadcast. All right. Senator James Langford, as always, great to talk with you. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be able to be with you. All right. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma, a champion for the things we care about on Capitol Hill. All right. Uh, again, take the challenge. Take the challenge. Don't miss the opportunity to take the challenge to pray, vote, and stand. Your prayers, your vote, your voice is needed. When we come back, Dr. Ben Carson joins us to talk about the Mustard Seed Series. What is it? He tells us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. Consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? 
Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. The history of the United States is preserved in archives, books, and the collective memory of the American people. It is also preserved through monuments and memorials that visually represent the extraordinary history of our nation. To tell these stories and remind ourselves of the importance of these memorials, Family Research Council has a new blog series highlighting the most recognizable and popular monuments in our nation's capital. This series devotes particular attention to the historical and spiritual themes depicted in each monument, sharing some not-so-well-known facts about their history, design, and symbolic meaning that shed light on our nation's deep religious heritage. This series aims to inspire the next generation to see the importance of these monuments and to remind us of the virtues and lessons that they memorialize. To read FRC's monument series, visit frcblog.org slash monuments. Again, that's frcblog.org slash monuments. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me again remind you, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the next installment of uh, Pray, Vote, Stand. You can find out more by going to PrayVoteStand.org. Also, I mentioned in the uh, last segment, taking the challenge to pray, vote, and stand. Uh, we've we've got to have an informed voting population. And so take the challenge, text the word vote to 53445. That's 53445, the word vote, and you will have then taken the challenge. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says, If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Well, it would stand to reason that if you have faith that can move mountains, we can have faith to help the most vulnerable among us. Tomorrow, Housing and Urban Development launches the Mustard Seed series that highlights a collaborative effort between the government and the faith community aimed at helping those in need. Joining me now to talk about the launch of the Mustard Seed series is Dr. Ben Carson, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Dr. Carson, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Always good to be with you, particularly to talk about something so uplifting. Well, it is. And uh, this has uh, kind of been the hallmark, I would, th- I would say, of the Trump administration of partnering with the faith community. And that's what this program is all about. Tell our listeners about it. Well, uh, as you mentioned in Matthew 17, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. And we have some mountainous problems uh, in our country, uh, like homelessness and affordable housing. Uh, that affects millions of Americans. Now, interestingly enough, as I've stated in the past, these are the kinds of problems that used to be handled by the faith-based community. And uh, along came the government uh, several decades ago and decided that it would be the one to handle these problems. And uh, the problems have just sort of uh, mushroomed in the course of that. One of the reasons that the faith-based community was so effective is because they developed personal relationships. 
Mm-hmm. And it's those personal relationships that really are likely to change a person. Because a, a lot of the people have drug habits and uh, mental illness, uh, emotional issues, all kinds of things that really prevent them from climbing the ladders of opportunity that are available. So uh, what we decided to do is uh, you know, look at some of the faith-based communities that actually are doing some very useful things. So the, the very first one uh, will be highlighted uh, tomorrow. And uh, it was a, a church uh, in Riverside, California, uh, Pastor Tom Manson, Mayor Rusty Bailey. Uh, and basically this church had some property, and they built four single-family homes on that property, and they invited four homeless families. And then they use the resources, the talents that exist in the church to get these families to a point of self-sufficiency. Because you've got all kind of people in the, in the church, people who can help you with financial literacy, uh, with transportation, with nutrition. It just goes on and on. And, you know, the church really became a community for each one of these families and uh, has been very, very effective in terms of, of lifting people up. And, you know, that's what we really need to be thinking about in our country because we only have 330 million people, a quarter of what China or India has, and yet we have to compete with them in the future, which means we need to be thinking about how do we develop all of our people and not leave anybody behind. And... uh so, you know, that will be the first one, and um, faith initiatives at HUD.gov, if you go to that website, faith, uh, rather uh, email that, faith initiatives at HUD.gov, and uh, they will tell you how to uh, get hooked into the series. And we'll make sure we have that up at uh, TonyBerkins.com. But the to your point, uh, off, and I've been working with homeless for probably 30, 35 years. Uh, we've had homeless people staying in our home, and we've been working with them. And m- in most cases, there are some exceptions, but in most cases, uh, it is uh, a series of decisions, bad decisions, or lack of uh, mentoring, lack of opportunities that has led to homelessness. There's obviously a lot of drug issues, sometimes uh, mental illness issues. But that personal side, as you talk about in the faith community, that is holistic, can help break right. the cycle, uh, which uh, it, it's difficult for government to do. Government has a role, but as you pointed out, as government stepped in, there was a crowding out effect where the church was, uh, the faith community pushed out. That's what's so exciting about what's happening in this administration, where there's an invitation being extended to come back in and be a part of the solution. Absolutely. And there's so many people who get all excited and they said, but what about separation of church and state? Well, there's nothing in the Constitution uh, that uses those words, separation of church and state. That was a Supreme Court ruling. And its purpose was simply to say that the state should not rule the church and the church should not rule the state. 
had nothing to do with you needing to give up your church affiliation or your faith. And I remember when I first entered government, a senior official came to me and said, you know, you're going to have to stop all this God stuff. You know, you can't do that as a senior official in the government. I said, you're out of luck. I'm not doing it. <laughs> because that would be like cutting my heart out. There wouldn't be anything left. Uh, if I didn't have my faith, and that's so important, that we begin to think about how do we bring that back to our society? Because there's been so much hostility, uh, particularly toward Christianity mm-hmm. and mockery of that. And uh, I, I believe that probably the only way that, uh, that that goes away is that people of faith have to have the courage to stand up. You know, not to hide in the corner and and hope that no one notices them and that, that, you know, no one takes away their job or talks about their family. You know, that's where faith comes in. You believe that God will take care of you if you take care of his business. And, and uh, it's so important concept. And what you are describing through the Mustard Seed series with the government partnering with the faith community is a what we would call in military terms, if you will, a force multiplier. Because you're taking a passion that the church, that the faith community has to help people, to minister to people, and you're saying, okay, look, we'll partner with you. Here's We, we want to help you do what you have a passion to do. And you don't have to pay those people to do it because they want to do it. They want to help their neighbors. Exactly. They want to help their community. Exactly. And it's amazing what happens when people get behind a project and they get excited about it. And there are a lot of good people in our society, but they don't have a specific goal. And uh, they don't have a way to manifest, you know, the goodness that's in their hearts. And this provides that opportunity. And uh, we're hoping over the course of time that we can get every faith community in the country uh, to adopt a homeless person or a homeless family with the goal of making themselves sufficient. Uh, that's a game changer. It that, is. That, that basically will do away with homelessness in our country. And more importantly, you know, get people to, to start thinking about how we help people, not how we get into fights with people and get into our respective corners and, and, and create hatred and division. Yeah, the um, uh, years ago I read a book called um, uh, "Bringing in the Sheaves," and it's uh, ba- basically if every church adopted a a family that was in the realm of poverty, uh, one or two families, we could eliminate the need for the the government programs that deal with poverty. Now I know there are some that, as I said, there's a lot of factors that lead to homelessness, but a lot of it is just someone walking alongside a family, helping them get the skills they need to succeed, helping them make the right decisions and get on the right track, and and giving them time uh, to do that, and we can break the cycle. That's exactly right. And, And, you know, some people got left behind as our society changed because, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s and even the early part of the 70s, uh, all you needed was a strong back and a willingness to work, and you could do quite well. Right. Uh, but that's no longer the case. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people don't have the skills that are necessary. 
but there are others who can give them, help them to acquire those skills. And that makes a huge difference in people's lives. And they, and again, they want to. Uh, and so many churches we deal with in our network of 15,000 churches would love to be a part. In fact, I know many of them are doing this on their own um, and are excited about what is happening under your leadership at uh, HUD. Now, tomorrow is the launch. Can people connect with that, uh, churches and others that want to be a part and find out more? Can they do that? Yes, yes. They, they just need to uh, send an email. Okay, send an email. Uh, we'll... faith, faith initiatives at HUD.gov. Faith initiatives at HUD.gov. Uh, email that if you uh, if you have a church that's involved in uh, affordable housing, helping the homeless. Uh, email and and you can be a part of the mustard seed uh, series, the projects of uh, the collaborative effort between HUD and the faith community. So, w- what's the ultimate uh, objective here? How, how far do you think this might go to uh, partner with the faith community? Uh, I, the, the, the sky is the limit, <laughs> as they say, uh, because, you know, we're, we're all hopefully aiming at the same goal, and that is to, to get people on the proper footing, to get people out of poverty, to get people out of dependency, and ultimately to get people to see where real happiness and success lies. And, and president relationship with with the, with the father of the universe, and and President Trump is supportive of this. He is encouraging this type of collaborative effort. President Trump has signed more executive orders uh, that support the faith community than any other president. Probably all the other presidents put together. And, uh, you know, he recognizes that the faith community is a strong supporter of the whole concept of making America strong and making America just and bringing values and principles back. Because I think we recognize that we're actually heading in the wrong direction. And uh, and that's why we're seeing so much division and so much strife and so much hatred. There's no need for that. You know, this is a time when, you know, before COVID hit, things were just humming along, particularly economically. Uh, minorities had the lowest, the very lowest unemployment ever recorded. Uh, the wealth gap was closing, you know, Jobs were coming back. Manufacturing was coming back. I mean, and we can obviously get right back to that as soon as COVID is over if we stop fighting each other and start mm-hmm. working together uh, and, and, and stop being so jealous of power. And that's what I've found here in, in Washington, D.C. Some people call it the swamp. Just so many people consumed with the idea of having power. And, uh, of course, that's that's really antithetical to the Christian mindset. But it's human nature, and it's been around a long time, and um, we're not immune from it. L- let me step back for just a moment on the issue of the collaborative effort with the faith community and, and some of the things that you've mentioned. And borrowing from your previous experience as a world-renowned surgeon, the role that faith plays in 
you know, I mean, you can do the surgeries, but f- you've you've witnessed faith play a significant role in oh the goodness. healing process and in bringing people to where they need to be. Uh, in, in so many cases. Uh, and, uh, you know, I can remember uh, so many cases where it couldn't have been anything except the hand of God that made the difference. I remember one particular uh, baby whose skull wasn't growing and the brain was being crushed, and we had to do an operation to expand the skull. And the baby suffered a, a catastrophic bleed during the process and was basically uh, brain dead. Uh, and I remember the father and I challenged each other to who could pray the hardest uh, because it looked very grim. Baby's pupils were fixed and dilated. There was no neurological function. But about 24 hours later, the baby started manifesting neurological function. The pupils started working. It was just absolutely spectacular. We were all rejoicing. Everybody was talking about this thing that had happened. And then the baby started having problems breathing and had developed multiple pneumothoraces, ruptures in the lung. And then the pulmonary specialist said the baby probably would not make it through the night. Baby made it through the night. And then the neurologist came along and said, but the baby won't be able to talk or see or hear. And then all of that cleared up, and the baby turned out to be perfectly normal. That was Prayer, prayer works. Dr. Ben Carson, thanks so much for uh, joining us. We're out of time. Appreciate what you're doing. We'll, we'll encourage people to, to visit the HUD site and uh, be a part of the Mustard Seed series. Folks, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. Washington Talk to you Watch next time. with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.